0: Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kazesanov. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to have back in the chair in, as my guest, Gillian Lavender. Gillian is co founder and director of the London Meditation Center and the New York Meditation Center, together with her partner, Michael Miller. For those of you who don't know Gillian, Gillian is an absolute expert in meditation and she is a teacher of Vedic meditation but she also has other areas of interest and deep knowledge which we're going to explore today and Gillian just told me she's just been featured in an article in the Telegraph so please go ahead and read that and she's often to be seen in several publications such as the Huffington Post and uh, Get the Gloss. So Gillian, thank you so much for taking the time to come back and talk to me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you for having me. So last time we talked a lot about meditation. Um, Mm. This time I want to move over to your other area of expertise, which Mm is Ayurveda. And Now Mm. the two things are intimately linked, but also separate. So I'll hand over the reins to you, and maybe you can start by defining and telling us what Ayurveda is. I think it's a term mm. a lot of people have heard and maybe don't really understand what it's yeah. talking about.
1: I think it's a good place to start. I think, as you said, there's a linkage
0: um, between
1: uh, Vedic meditation and Ayurveda, and the link is that um, this word Veda, V-E-D-A, uh, means knowledge pure knowledge and from that body of knowledge which we know to be many many thousands of years old we're going back 5,000 10,000 years this knowledge from where we get yoga and meditation and Ayurveda um, this is the the source of this now let's just break down this term Ayurveda Ayas means life, Veda means knowledge Pure knowledge. So Ayurveda is knowledge of life. It's an ancient system of well-being and health that is grounded in this knowledge. And so it's been a big part of my training in relation to my studies within this knowledge, the Veda. Um, And from a personal point of view, you know, it's something that I've really uh, integrated into my life over many years now, and uh, in fact, you know, I have, have been bringing my Ayurvedic doctors to London here um, for a couple of years for them to do consultations and for them to see see people and, and to give lectures um, because it's something that I'm so passionate about. And I know from my personal experience, the power of it. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, there's a growing readiness for this knowledge and and at the same time just like as we discussed last time with meditation and i know that you find this in your work when the, we can have an ex, sort of a an opening up of this knowledge but with that comes a little bit of potential for dilution and confusion um so the same i can see with ayurveda uh however it's an area that's just so rich and and has such a practical down-to-earth aspect to it um It really covers every aspect of life, you know, as my uh, teacher said, you know, there's just Ayurveda, it's got something to say about everything, you know, it's just (laughs) everything is covered. Um, So yeah, so that's what it is in a nutshell.
0: So, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with Ayurvedic medicine, um, or the term at least. So, but Ayurveda, as you, if I understand from what you say, is actually really a model of how to live every day. It's a model of, of how to maintain and attain wellness as well as actually treating a disease state for which it's also suitable. Is that correct? Have I understood that correctly?
1: Yes, you have. I think, you know, the thing that I would emphasize with Ayurveda is that there are some key words um, that can guide us a little bit in our understanding. One is prevention and the other is balance. Now, when we're balanced, what we're doing is we are performing a practice of preventative medicine because we're catching things earlier so often what happens in western allopathic um, approach which has you know great value and has such an impact in the world is that very often we're catching things at a very late stage what I have witnessed in the work that I've done with Ayurveda is that when we can maintain our balance in our psychophysiology, in our mind and body, and in our relationship to our environment. For example, we were just talking. You know, it's the sun's coming out, and it's springtime, and you know, this is we're all connected. It's all related, and so when we are able to um, maintain a more naturally aligned state of balance, then we're going to be creating a situation where we're preventing some of these things for de- developing or we're catching them a lot earlier and we're able to then integrate practices whether that be in terms of our lifestyle or our diet, uh, what time we exercise, what time we go to sleep, when do we eat our main meal, you know some really um, fundamental things that will have a big impact on us staying well and the other thing that I would say about Ayurveda is that it's not a one size fits all kind of approach. You know, it's not like everybody has to start eating broccoli. It's not like everybody has to stop drinking coffee. You know, that, that's a very, it's a very sort of gross as in, you know, not very refined approach. Um, Ayurveda is all about tuning in to where the individual is at because everybody has a unique psychophysiological signature, a mind body type. And that's what we work with in Ayurveda. Um, so, yeah, these principles differentiate it from a lot of what's happening in perhaps more traditional um, practices of medicine.
0: Right, right. Can we maybe go into that and and talk a little bit more about these kind of, they're almost like... Um yeah in the one sense a little bit like archetypes but they're not um yes uh, yes so So, a lot of the the elemental sort of feeling and and um that goes that's involved in that you talk about that a little bit more
1: yes so we call these uh doshas d-o-s-h-a dosha and a dosha has its origins in the elements the five elements and what it is what is addressing is that every individual has a unique composition of these three doshas, vata, pitta, kapha, vata, pitta, kapha. And we all are this unique composition and it tends to be that one or possibly two of those doshas will be most dominant in a person's psychophysiological typing so for example um, somebody might have a predominance of vata and then followed by pitta and then to a lesser degree kapha or pitta vata kapha or kapha pitta so we have all three however it's very often that there will be one that's most dominant or one or two that are kind of vying for dominance and so When we understand the qualities of these doshas, because these doshas are affecting individuals, but they're also affecting the uh, sequencing and the timings within a day, within a 24-hour cycle, they're also affecting the seasons within the annual calendar. So we know that there's a vata season. We know that there's a pitta season. We know that there's a kapha season during the year. And that will also inform us then about how to maintain balance when those qualities, because the qualities of each of these doshas is different, when those qualities are most dominant, for example, in the environment, that's something that we want to then counterbalance and take into consideration in order to ensure that we stay balanced.
0: Right, so it's very much based on the idea of of like- exacerbating like so you know when you to try and bring things back into balance means actually putting in more of the opposite of what's there
1: yeah yeah so let's get specific so vata dosha vata dosha it comes from the air and space uh elemental aspect so vata is what's impacting movement, movement in the physiology, movement of wastes out of the system, movement through um, the menstrual cycle, movement of um, ideas and thoughts in the nervous system, movement, movement. So the qualities of vata tend to be dry and cold and quick. And so let's take the season which is the vata season, there's the like for like. When is it most likely to be vata season? Autumn, because it's dry and it's windy and it's cold and you need a hat and a scarf and you want to have something warm, not something cold and dry and raw because that's going to exacerbate those qualities and then that will lead to dry skin and constipation and lots of mental worries and tending towards those things because then vata is out or flying you know this used to be my issue i used to fly i spent a lot of time on planes now travel moving fast there's the movement and if you're doing lots of travel that's something that's going to be very vitiating, Very, it's going to throw vata off very quickly. So to bring it into balance, we want warm, we want unctuous, we want to be settled, we want to sit down and put our attention on that warm, unctuous lunch. You know, We want to put that hat on so we don't have all that wind um, blowing around and throwing us off and feeling sort of a little bit destabilized and, you know, I'm not so grounded because we've been out in a super windy, cold day, and you can see the effect of this. So this is one example. Um, and it's, and it's fascinating because it's sort of, when you, when you go through that, you sort of, there's an intuitive sense. Oh yes, I, that resonates. That makes sense to me. You know, if I'm out and I've skipped lunch and I've been racing around and it's cold and it's windy and I, you know, I've been flat out and I didn't get a chance to stop and I get home and I feel it, I feel a bit wound up and I feel a bit, you know, off, that's what's happened. And so then finding those simple things that can really ground us and and compensate or bring us back into balance is so helpful
0: right so you talked a little bit now about one of the doshas as an example maybe this is a good time to go all through all three of them so that we understand what they are so the
1: pitta dosha pitta and pitta season is in the summertime because pitta comes from the elements of fire and water so pitta is about metabolism it's about heat it's um it's the fire that's <laughs> metabolizing our food. It's um and so it's it creates drive, you know leaders tend to have a lot of pitter. There's that sense of going to get things done. There's it's what's that focused attention. Um, so somebody who has a lot of PITTA dominance in their psychophysiological type, you know, they're gonna be that person that uh, is not going to like it when they miss a meal. For example, you know, mm-hmm. it's like oh, you know, I need. Whereas the Vata person, who's all a bit airy and you know, fluttering around, oh, they didn't even they didn't even realize they'd missed lunch. You know, oh gosh, oh, it's three o'clock and I didn't eat. Whereas the Pitta person will be, you know, tearing their hair out and you know, tearing everybody else's out if they haven't eaten. You know, this is and so they have a tendency to heat, and that might come out in their temperament a little bit more of a tendency to anger, a little bit more fieryness there because there's the fire that's dominant in their mind body type. And of course, summertime, it's hot. It's the fiery time. So sitting, somebody who's got a lot of pizza in them sitting down and having a really hot, spicy chili curry in the beating, the sun's beating down and the hot, you know, what's that doing? It's like heat on top of heat, what are they going to find? They're going to be a bit fiery. They're going to maybe have some skin coming out of their skin. the tendency with pitta. Um, maybe over acidity, um, digestive issues. This is this is what pitta is is doing. So we have vata, pitta, kapha. Now kapha is um, the stable, solid aspect. It's what the phase that children are going in in their earliest years is the kapha phase. The same in our development as humans, we go through kapha phase, pitta phase, followed by vata. So kapha is the building blocks. It's the bones. It's the development of the, it's the stability. It's the um, more slow quality. It's not the fast whizzing around of vata. It's that more stable quality so kapha is the earth element and the water element so this is somebody who has a lot of kapha in them is going to perhaps have the physiologically be quite a little bit thick more thick set carry a little bit more weight a bit more of that sort of um tendency and possibly finding it a little bit less easy to lose weight compared to somebody like who has a lot of vata in them who the the more of a structurally thinner and not carrying so much of that heaviness um, and they lose weight quite easily. So somebody who has that, now the first time of the year is in springtime. So in that kind of wet, um, as we're coming out of winter, we go into the Kapha phase. Uh, and so this is often a time when people will feel more susceptible to allergies more mucus more of this kind of tendency because that's the cuff of time and uh and so there's ways that we can compensate there as the temperature's heating up things are getting a bit warmer all of the impurities are starting to be released in, in the system and that's how we notice it in terms of uh, mucus and more of a tendency to have these allergic reactions so Kaffa people they are those stable people they make great nurses great carers great they have that they will possibly take a little bit longer to uh, move or to uh, gain some understanding of something but once you've once they've got it You know, they've got it and they'll never forget it. You know, they have that really strong, caring, stable, nurturing sense. Um, And we have all three of these vata, pitta, kapha. But some, as I said, more dominant than the others and some more in balance and some not.
0: So if I understand you correctly, everybody sort of comes onto this world with, with sort of a predominance of one or maybe two of these types. So, what happens if we're talking about trying to maintain balance? Um, you know, should you be trying to get back to your natural type or should, be, should you be trying to balance it by bringing up the other characteristics? Do you understand what I'm trying to say?
1: Yes. So, yeah, we're all brought, born with a prakriti. That's our kind of our, our constitution, that's our, that's our base constitution, the base combination. However, as I alluded to earlier, you know, we're, there are certain influences that are happening in our life. So, you know, for example, my five and a half year old, she's in the KAFA phase of life. It's all about building blocks of this, the the bones and the muscle and the tissues, and she's a tendency to be more snotty and to be, you know, all of that quality there. Then we move into that pitta phase in that middle phase of our life where it's about achievement and um work and activity and 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 then in that latter part of our life we move into that more vata aspect so it's also it's not about well we have to simply focus on staying within our prakriti um, i think what's most helpful is that we actually are taking into account what is actually happening in this moment, in this time zone, in this um, weather situation, in this stage of life, you know, and, and being being able to tune in to what those uh, balancing factors are going to be at that stage, which is dynamic, it's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, when a woman's going through menopause, again, different challenges, different factors that are affecting The mind body. So, you know, it's understanding where am I at right now. And that is why one of the fundamental parts of Ayurveda is working with that sense of consciousness that we talked about in the last talk, and which is what we work with with meditation, is to have that self awareness and that connection to that inner wisdom so that we can constantly be adjusting based on what's happening in our environment and in our life and our life stage and the demands that we're under. I think that's, that's where the balance comes and being tuned in is really the most effective, uh, uh, strength and quality that we can have, um, You know, in Ayurveda, there's this beautiful saying, um, we don't say no as in N-O, we say no as in K-N-O-W, knowingness, know, know what it is that will support you in this moment, know that if I eat that in the middle of January, I'm going to feel a certain way. If I ate, you know, let's take me, for example, you know, if I have a raw salad in the middle of January, I'm going to come away from that feeling undernourished and actually not that well. If I had a raw salad and it's 30 degrees and it's the middle of August with a bit of olive oil and some avocado, I'd feel okay. You know, I'd feel very different. That's knowingness. And that knowingness is where essentially my my focus is for people is to help them to develop that inner self-awareness of where they're at and then to build in this understanding around it otherwise you know we're trying to follow sort of rule books and you know and it just becomes we lose connection to where we're actually at and everybody's where they're at and that's you know right for them in that moment
0: I I love that I love that that feeling of dynamism because I think Mm. a lot of um, even you know modern health, so-called alternative ideas are in some ways very rigid. It's like you eat this and you eat it forever, and you yeah. do this exercise program and you do it forever, or you do this five minutes of meditation and you do it forever. And that's just that just doesn't respond to to the natural dynamics of of and rhythms of life, does it? Whereas Ayurveda yeah. really embraces that.
1: Absolutely. And I think actually it can go even further. It can kind of disconnect you because it's like, right, I'm on this path and I'm doing this and the blinkers are on and I'm not actually tuning into what's actually going on and, and how I feel and no, because this is the way I've got to do it, you know, and, and uh, that rigidity limits us actually. Um, So where we can be adaptive, where we can be flexible, armed with some understanding and some principles and also then being able to tune into well, where am I at right now, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's where that's so helpful. One of the things that is, um, that comes to me that I, I do think has quite a, a universal uh, um, importance within the Ayurvedic approach is this area of digestion and I just want to talk about that for a moment because it is so fundamental to our well-being. And Ayurveda really understands this very clearly. You know, they if somebody has strong, balanced digestion, then the, the, what follows from that from the Ayurvedic perspective is that they are going to be more balanced and they're going to be well. If our digestion is off, if our digestion is weak, if our digestion is over strong, then that's going to lead to health issues. So this is very important and this is where we can start to look at some very simple practical things that do have more of a sort of a universal application in a way. And I think this could be interesting for those that are listening um, because we can't get into the nitty-gritty of everybody's particular mind-body type. Now, here's the thing about digestion. In Ayurveda, we refer to it as Agni, A-G-N-I. It's where we get our English word ignite because what we understand is that the digestive power is like a fire. It's burning up that food and metabolizing it and allowing for that assimilation to happen in a way that's beneficial for the body and for the waste products to be released out of the system. Now, what we want is for that fire (laughs) to be nice and strong and balanced. That's our digestive system. So, again, here's this principle of connection to nature. Nature also has a fire. It has, and what's the the strongest fire that we have in nature? It's the sun, Surya. Mm -hmm. That is that power, that quality. Now, here's a simple thing. What Ayurveda would say is that your personal digestive powers are going to be most strong, most balanced when you are drawing down upon them at a time that is in alignment with nature being most strong and most vibrant. When is the sun strongest? It's strongest in the middle of the day. So consequently sitting down at 8:30 p.m. at night and having the main meal of your day, heavy food, hard to digest food like cheese, like yogurt, meat, red meat particularly, and you sit down and you have that big meal, you are asking your system to you're asking your digestive fire to operate at a time when it is not at its strongest. It's sort of like the pilot light's gone right down at 8.30 at night. And so your body strains, it struggles to digest properly. And there's a consequence of that because in Ayurvedic terms, what happens is that that undigested food turns into a product which we call ama, A-M-A, ama. It's the byproduct of undigested food. And this is that sticky coating that's on your tongue in the morning. This is what's um, clogging up the fine channels, the schrotas in the physiology, the arterial system, the respiratory system. Everything is being affected by this accumulation of armor. And that is the precursor, that is the early stages of us developing more serious imbalances and diseases. It has so much of it, the bulk of it has its origins in digestion. And that's why I think it's important for us to highlight this because there, right there, we've identified something that can be an absolute game changer for one's health. Don't eat your main meal late at night eat your main meal at lunchtime that if, if everybody did that then that would have such an impact on their well-being and it's it's from this understanding that we can make then choices about not only when we eat but also how we eat you know i saw a guy running down the street the other day yelling to try and catch a car a cab and he was trying to talk on his phone and he was munching on a sandwich. I just kind of couldn't. But you know what? I was standing there watching it, and my digestive system just sort of went into like, oh my goodness, you know. Because, you know, no matter how organic and wonderful that food was, you know, there was a digestive system under strain. You know, that person wasn't sitting, putting their attention on the food. You know, being able to allow the body to do all of those vital processes that's needed in order to convert that food into something that's helpful for the body, that was creating a lot of toxicity in that system. So digestion, 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 that is an area that's a really important place to start. When we look at Ayurveda, when I work with my clients, this is always the thing that I start with because this is something we can do something about relatively mm, quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, another thing, you know, our digestive process starts in our, well, before we get stuff into our mouth, you know, looking at the food, smelling the food. That is activating the digestive system. Then, you know, in India, of course, you sit down and you eat, you eat with your fingers. Mm-hmm. Now that, there's very fine mama points on, the, on our fingers that are also connected to our digestive system. We're activating that process there. But then another important part of this early on in the digestive process is chewing, <laughs> chew, chew, chew. In Ayurvedic texts, they'll say when you should chew your food 32 times now I don't think most people are anywhere near that I'd say some people you know I'd be lucky if it's two Um, but that is having a big impact on the load that we're putting on our digestive system if you're just stuffing food in it's going into the stomach and these you know it's not broken down in a way that's going to cause the body to have to compensate more acidity you know, all this acid reflux, all these issues are a function of sometimes as simple as that. So here again, another angle through another window through which we can access the power of the digestive system to help us stay well and to prevent things further down the track.
0: Right, right. That makes so much sense to me. I mean, you, you see that all the time that people just rush around and also they don't dedicate time to food the you know the mm. old-fashioned idea of sitting actually I you know religious or not I love the idea of saying grace because it mm. actually makes you focus on the food that you're eating and that you appreciate it I lived in Germany for many years and you know there's an expression in in German that says you know that I eat as well um, yes you know, which yeah means that you actually have to see the food and enjoy it and you know you're, you you even Notice that the saliva in your mouth starts to build just by smelling the food and looking at it, and absolutely taking the time to actually kind of enjoy it with all of your senses. And of course, that just doesn't fit into our two minute lunch breaks on the go with you know 20 devices, yes. phone calls, and everything. Oh,
1: I think Yeah, I, th- I totally agree. You know, I remember. I was working in Australia and I, I then moved to Paris for work and, you know, Australia, it was this culture of you grab a sandwich and you sit in front of your computer and you keep working and you're sort of munching on this thing. And I mean, just terrible. And then I got to Paris and it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a jolt at first, like, okay, no, everyone's stopping where we're going out. We're going to sitting down at a restaurant, you know, we're having lunch, um, but it was it was made so much sense, and I felt so much better. Um, and actually, then ended up eating a lot less at night,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is certainly how my diet has evolved over time. You know, I don't eat so much at night, and, and if I do, I you know I'll feel it. You know, I'll know, and I know what the and there's certain things you know that I I do to support my system. You know, for example, tongue scraping, which is a really important Ayurvedic uh, practice that we do in the morning where we're taking all of that gunky coating off the tongue. That's armor. Mm-hmm. We don't want that in our system. We want that out. So we clear that out first thing. Now, what you'll notice is if you've eaten something that was a bit heavy, you've eaten something that didn't quite agree with you, you ate late, you weren't settled, you'll notice this just on your tongue. Very simple. Uh, so there's something that we can do a good practice Um, a lot of uh, people are very uh, partial to oil pulling which is another thing that's pulling this armor this toxicity out of the system so yeah it's a really you know our society isn't it's not always geared up for for this Um, but if there's ways that we can just pull ourselves a little bit more back into alignment with what is going on in nature, you know, and what is good for our system, it will have a huge impact, huge impact. And and there's another, I think, my um, Vaidya. Vaidya is the term for an Ayurvedic doctor. My Vaidya from India, He um, he said, you know, he travels a lot, around the world lecturing and consulting on Ayurveda. And I remember after his first trip to America, he, he said, you know, there's, there's one thing that everybody could do here um, that would make a huge impact. It is so simple. And what it is is to sip on hot water throughout the day. And, again, if there's my top sort of Ayurvedic tip is sip hot water throughout the day, start in the morning and then you just, it's not so much the volume, it's the frequency. Every 30 minutes, sip that hot water because what that's doing is it's flushing armor out of the system very, very effectively and it is hydrating the uh, inner uh, organs very, very quickly. This whole, because what he was witnessing, you know, and you see this particularly when you go to a country like the U.S., where, you know, there's this habit of, you know, plonking down this huge glass of iced water. I kind of really think it's watered ice. I mean, there's just more ice in there than water and people are glugging that stuff as they eat. Now, what is that doing? That is, that's like jumping ice on on a fire. You know, that is putting out the flames of your agni, your digestive system so what does that do? That means you don't digest properly. That means you build up armor and then that armor gets, it interrupts the flow of intelligence in the body and, and, and that will literally physically clog up the system. But it also, I think, interrupts our, our natural intelligence around what is right for us in that moment and we lose that connection so, we feel like something a bit sweet, and instead of going for a little teaspoon of raw honey, we go and eat, you know, a half a bar of chocolate because the desire, the information is getting distorted because that, that clarity, that free flow of uh, intelligence is, is not there. Right. So, you know, the impact, the implications for all of this are so, so vast. So, hot water. You know, it's my it's my number one tip. Sip on that, and that keeps our system moving. It keeps our skin clear. It keeps the armor moving out of our system, and it will strengthen our digestive system very much.
0: I should. I I actually always drink a glass of warm water with a dash of lemon first thing in the Mm -hmm. morning. But Mm -hmm. now I shall extend that and drink it. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about food because, um, in as much as these these doshas, um, uh, as you've described them, they they clearly one can immediately see how foodstuffs also kind of fit into those characteristics. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And also, you mentioned before the idea of the raw salad. Should one preferably, you know, this is the age of the green smoothie. Um, should one actually be eating um, food raw or? Is is it actually better sometimes to cook it or how does Ayurveda see all of this? I know it's a huge topic.
1: Maybe yeah, it's a huge topic. Um, I think let's do the raw thing. I mean, Ayurveda is absolutely not in favour of raw because raw is hard to digest. It's so hard to digest. So everybody within Nutribullets and it's raw this and it's green this and that that is that is, from an Ayurvedic perspective, toxic for the body. Toxic, you know, as as Dr. Raju said, you know, cook the vegetables, then blend them, you know, (laughs) fine. But to have them raw, you know, is not uh, advisable for anybody of any dosha. Now, if anybody's going to be able to handle it better than others, it will be those that have a predominance of kapha, in their system but for somebody who has a lot of vasa and certainly pitta it will be really really tough on their body and it is you know definitely not something that is recommended at all um, certain things like cucumber or fresh um, coriander and things like this that we would sprinkle that will but this this raw obsession with raw is, uh, is certainly goes against the Ayurvedic grain, big time. Okay. Yeah, big time. Um, so so that's one aspect. Um, one of the one of the things in uh, in relation to food. Um, is Ayurveda encourages the use of ghee. Mm -hmm. Um, And ghee is sometimes known as clarified butter. It's when we reduce down butter and remove the heavy solid parts of the butter and we're left with this clear golden ghee. Um, And this is something that I use all the time in my cooking Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because it doesn't burn, it doesn't go off, uh, it doesn't oxidise uh, and it has many, many very powerful benefits for uh, the skin, the joints, the eyes, brain development, good cholesterol as opposed to bad cholesterol. It just, it's just ticks every box. It's just fantastic stuff. And <clears throat> so that's something that is highly prized in um, an Ayurvedic kitchen mm-hmm. is to cook with ghee uh because it's sort of one of those you know it's like a actually in medicine it's like a superfood in that sense um and that's something that you know i make my own and it's relatively easy to do that um but you know you can get good ghee uh and that's something that i would really recommend for people
0: what about things like um, herbs and spices? I um, just interviewed uh, Simon Mills, who's one of the, the leading herbal medicine experts in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And his bottom line recommendation was eat like an Asian, you know, start off in the mm-hmm. Middle East and, and move over because of their absolute love of using a lot of herbs and spices because, you know, food is medicine and these are some of nature's most amazing mm medicines on the planet so how does how does Ayurveda see that because if we're going to be talking about digestion I would imagine Mm. that also plays a major role
1: yeah Yeah, I think it's core to an Ayurvedic kitchen Um, and I absolutely agree and in fact my Ayurvedic doctor was we were talking about how there was sort of what they're witnessing in India is an increase in more western uh dominated diseases in the north of india and that's it's increasing as as india becomes more westernized yeah, and it's le-
0: one of the most um, <clears throat> rates of of diabetes growing yeah in and,
1: and yeah. it's less in the south and we were i was talking well why, why is this and he said it's the food and it's specifically the knowledge of correct spicing of food and that that knowledge is not as diluted and lost in the southern parts of India as it is in the more westernized northern parts of India. So the power of spicing is is very important. So there are some super spices that, you know, uh, would be recommended. Traditionally when you cook in an Indian kitchen, you'd make a tadka, which is where you fry the spices in – some ghee or some oil and that activates the the um, the properties of those uh, spices. So that would be things like mustard seeds and they pop and then you would add cumin. Now, cumin seeds is what, really one of the super, super um, spices. And, you know, even like the other day I was making a pasta sauce and I was gently um uh, frying in ghee some vegetables and then I was going to be adding some fresh tomato I threw in some cumin seeds into that because it wasn't an Indian meal but it was bringing that in just because I know the power of <clears throat> of that particular one so cumin is big um, and uh, and then they would add other things like curry leaves and and then the other one is turmeric
0: yeah, um, and
1: these days, yeah, yeah, and everybody's got their turmeric lattes and everything. The big thing with turmeric is that we don't ever want to um, burn it. So when we make, for example, this mix, this spice mix that I'm describing, turmeric will be the should be the last thing that we add, and it should not be burnt. So we just turn the heat off, and there it is. So when I'm making hot milk, and I'm um, a big a fan of that, and whenever I drink milk. Uh, I always cook the milk so I'm always boiling it up and allowing it to rise and settle down and rise and settle do that three times cook off the heavy parts of the um of the, the kind of the kaffa the heaviness of the milk and then I'll add a pinch of turmeric at the end um so this has very important uh antibacterial anti-inflammatory qualities so, so Every day I'm trying to incorporate that into some way into the, the food. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, I'm totally, a, you know, a big fan of, of spicing. And these, these are simple things that you can get now. You know, these are widely available um, and they really make a difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: Another one that's very good for um, if you feel like your digestive system is a little bit weak, is ginger. Um, and the simple things that we can do there, you know, uh, like slicing some fresh ginger and just allowing that, to put, adding hot water and just allowing that to steep, and then sipping on that, you know, sipping on that sort of through the day, sipping on it before you have your main meal. What this does, it's like it's like putting kindling on the fire, you know. It will activate and strengthen the digestive system. Um and when we fly, um, what we do is we take, you know how you can't take water through the security, right. but we'll put some fresh slices of ginger in a thermos. Then when we get through the other side past security, get someone to fill, you know, fill that up with hot water either on the plane or at one of the cafes and they'll do that for you. And there you've got something which is going to be really balancing for that sort of vata aggravating experience that you're about to go through with the flying and it's keeping your digestive system strong. Um, So ginger is another good one to have um, in the, in the kitchen. Uh, And, you know, all of these herbs and spices, coriander that we're talking about, very good for balancing pitta. So it has a cooling effect. You know, some spices are going to be heating. Some are going to be cooling. Some are going to be strengthening for digestive coriander. Very, very good for those that have a lot of pitta in their system or for the in the summer when it heats up
0: yeah right right how does somebody who is interested in finding out more about this i mean obviously there's a million books and a 100 youtube videos and the internet's full of all sorts of information but from your perspective what's what's a good way to actually get a little bit more information for people who want to start incorporating these ideas maybe as a first step actually just into the way that they eat.
1: Mm. Yes, I think you've hit on it in the sense that, you know, and it comes back to something we were saying earlier about when something becomes bigger, (laughs) with that comes a little bit of possibly dilution or, you know, I kind of, it's sort of Ayurveda light or, you know, a spa Ayurveda or this kind of thing where it gets a bit, um and so I think it's it's tricky. Um you know on our website there I've highlighted some books that are um on London Meditation dot com. I've classified some there that for Ayurveda, which I think are very good. Um there's a fantastic one which is more oriented towards women, mm-hmm. uh and it's called a woman's best medicine. And it's written by uh, some Western-trained doctors who have trained extensively with um, my Ayurvedic doctors in India. And it's a fantastic introduction to Ayurveda from a feminine consciousness perspective. Um, So that is... I think a really great book and a really good place to start. And I, I encourage my female clients to, to really get that if they have that interest and they want to, it's, it's really solid. It's not uh, in the sense that it's the real thing. It's easy to read and it's, it's practical. Um, So I think it's tricky because, you know, there are people out there who are, you know, claiming to be Ayurvedic practitioners and one needs to take some care around that and make sure that you have a good connection with that and you're just understanding a little bit about what their experience is um, because you know we want to we want to ensure that we're not sort of uh, creating imbalance when we want to actually create balance and um, but I think it, the good news is that there is more awareness and there more, is more understanding, and uh, and so that is opening up more possibilities. Um, so a little bit of research and you know testing that out, and you'll find those things. And what I always encourage people because it's such a vast area, it's so sometimes it can appear very dense and sort of these technical terms and stuff that we don't understand and not actually that relatable for modern busy life and i think that's the thing that i'm always attempting to do is to highlight the practical doable things that can easily be integrated and you don't have to go sort of off the grid and you know just go really weird you can actually stay on track and be in the world and and, and start to introduce these things Um, and that's, you know, as simple as what we've talked about just now, you know, when you eat your main meal, sipping hot water, avoiding raw food, you know, some of those things that we've identified, adding a little bit of human and perhaps introducing a little bit of ghee into the diet, these sorts of things that will have a big, big impact. Um, So at all times it's got to be something that is practical and easy to do otherwise you're not going to do it you know um so I think that if anything is the most important thing and if you're being given time and time again I've seen people go and they'll have an appointment with some body and they'll come back with all these powders and stuff and and these and it's just so sort of too much and it's a bit hardcore and it just and then ends up not being used and not being (laughs) integrated into life and uh and we're all too busy and it's it's not where people are at right now so I think that's important you know find those things um and it's not like we have to go to India to get this knowledge we can get a lot here um so
0: yeah that's hopefully we're serving that purpose of today. Yes, and that's and what this is, is about. Absolutely, it's only an introduction. But uh, one, maybe last thing I'd like to go to because, unfortunately, as always, Gillian, I, I, <laughs> I can't this, believe the time took away like sand through your fingers. <laughs> warm water. Um, <laughs> One of the things I did want to go back on was something that you said right at the very beginning was this idea that you could pick up um, and you could prevent a lot of things happening very, very early on. Now, my relatively limited understanding of, of um, all of this kind of body of work is is also this idea of having several layers of of. Energy of of, of physicality of, of around the body, so that you have the the physical plane and the emotional plane. And how does how does that sort of like tie in? Because I would, you know, if, if to my mind, if you're looking at sort of like dis ease in the in the proper expression of the word that the body is no longer in a state of ease, body, mind, and spirit, that that would probably show up in some of these other areas before it actually shows up as a physical problem so how how does that all relate and how how can somebody who's certainly into a very good meditation practice start to become aware of these things so that they can maybe go down the road a little bit of self-diagnosis and prevention in that sense
1: yes I mean I think um you know, if we look at it, if we, if we step back from the physical body and we go down a level to the level of the mind and we look at the emotional imbalance, that is often an indicator of what's off. So for somebody who is experiencing imbalance that is more vata dominant, then the dominant emotional imbalance will be one of fear or anxiety. If somebody who is experiencing uh, pitta imbalance, there's going to be a dominance, predominance of anger that will be experienced in terms of emotional imbalance. For somebody who's experiencing kapha imbalance, then emotionally that can be a, a tendency to... sadness and to hoarding and to being holding on tight to to sort of possibly jealousy that sort of heavy sort of tight feeling so these emotional states can give us some sort of an orientation into what some of the underlying uh the nature of the imbalance is so there tends to be a predominance often it's a combination it's not just one of those things it can be a hybrid or a mix um, so that's one way. And this is the thing about Ayurveda. It's not looking at just the physical system. It's going to the absolute deepest level. And that means consciousness, the state of consciousness. And that's why meditation, Vedic meditation, is so important as a foundation for that, because that is working at the level of consciousness. From consciousness, everything is created. Out of consciousness comes our thinking, our emotions, and our physical experience in the world. And uh, so the recommendation from an Ayurvedic perspective is always to take into account all of these. And when we start from the place of consciousness, everything that manifests out of that is going to be more balanced and more in alignment. We're just working at the surface level, at the the active physical level it's like we're putting a sort of a band-aid on the top but underneath there are um there's a lot of fatigue or there's a lot of stress or there's a lot of you know there's a distortion and a disconnection at a much deeper level so you know consciousness is conceiving the body consciousness is creating the body consciousness is governing the body everything like everything in nature is manifesting out of that underlying quantum field of energy and creative intelligence so accessing that what are the tools that we have to be able to connect with that that's what's going to ultimately ensure that the healing is happening at the deepest level And at the most powerful level, the most powerful level. So that we're activating that connection to that reservoir of creative intelligence and balance and energy that is within. And then everything that manifests out of that will be in alignment. There won't be any disruption or discordance. So go to the source, you know, uh, water the root to enjoy the fruit. You know, this is what I would say always.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. and thank you so much. I really, really appreciate having you back. You know, you're Mm. welcome here anytime. I'm hoping we're going to you back again in the future. Thank you so much for the work that you do and bringing this information and supporting people in this very important path, I think. Um, I think it's something which we all desperately need in our modern world is a little bit of sanity. (laughs) And and for me, that's what all of this is. And again thank you do you have any parting words anything that we should have talked about that we didn't regarding this subject
1: I think we've done well for our first go I think we've and hopefully we've um, stimulated some curiosity and some inquiry some worthy inquiry and if we've done if we've done that then I feel very um, very pleased about that uh, and I encourage people, you know, just start doing a little bit of re- research and, and reading and, and checking this out. And it will, it will yield something that will be valuable and, and help us to maintain balance. You know, these are very fast-changing times, hectic, and there's a lot of imbalance in the collective. So what we can do at our personal individual level will be very, very important uh, so that we stay well and grounded um, and happy.
0: Absolute, yeah. very sage advice. You yeah. know, I usually ask my three little questions. We asked them the last time. So I won't bother people with that again, which is, okay. you know, health, happiness, and serenity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe it's a good impetus to get people to go and listen to your other episode. <laughs> but on that note, I would very much wish it to you. And again, thank you and hopefully see you again soon. So wishing you health, happiness, and serenity. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you so much,
0: Tatiana. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode on Ayurveda with Jillian as much as I did. Fabulous system that's dynamic and easy to apply into our crazy, busy lives that we lead. If you didn't get the chance to listen to Gillian's episode on meditation, please go ahead and do that because it's not without good reason that it's actually one of our best performing episodes and the absolute basis for understanding Ayurveda as a complete system. That episode is entitled Vedic Meditation with Gillian Lambda. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I highly recommend that you do that. As always, that leaves me pleased to ask you to rate and review us and subscribe, of course, to the podcast on iTunes. You can also do that over on Stitcher or Spotify and share shamelessly. That also applies to anything that we have on our social media sites, all reachable at London Heal. Also, if you would like to have extended show notes for future episodes of London Heels so that you can get all of the information there in front of you, then please go over to our spanking, shiny new website over on londonheel.com and sign up to become a London Heel Insider, where you'll get exclusive access to extended show notes with each new episode, along with all the links to that episode. That pops neatly into your mailbox. So that leaves me then, as always, to wish you health, happiness and serenity.